This is episode 15 of Functional First Podcast, where we speak with leading experts in the field of functional health. I'm Katie Yamamoto from Functional Media, and today I'm speaking with physiotherapist Jack Miller on the Mulligan concept. Can we start by having you introduce yourself? Hi there. Uh, my name is Jack Miller, physiotherapist in a clinical practice in London, Ontario. I did my physio training here in Canada, and then I had the opportunity to spend six years in New Zealand, in Australia, where I did the Diploma of Manipulative Therapy through the Auckland University of Technology, and then came back to Canada and have been in clinical practice since that time. And then how did you get involved in the Mulligan concept? Well, my experience with the Mulligan concept is that I happened to be in New Zealand uh, in the early 1980s, just when Brian Mulligan first uh, discovered the concept of mobilization with movement. So I was in school at the time there, and Brian was uh, one of the uh, chief instructors in the program. And so I just happened to be there at the very time that he started discovering some of these uh, findings in clinical practice and uh, had the opportunity to mentor directly under him. I also happened to be in New Zealand just as Mackenzie was first really coming forward with some of his ideas and publishing his uh, first publications. So I got to take my training from people like Rob Mackenzie and Brian Mulligan, and I would say probably one of the luckiest physios in the world. Right place, the right time, with the right people. And can you explain what the Mulligan concept is? The Mulligan concept is a uh, orthopedic manual therapy system. It was developed by Brian Mulligan in the 1980s. It's built on the concept of adding both manual therapy mobilizations uh, that the therapist applies to the patient, often a transitory glide or distraction, and then coupled with that, the patient's own movements themselves. I think one of the distinguishing features of the Mulligan concept is that rather than the therapist being the arbiter of right and wrong, it's actually the patient who's uh, essentially driving the process. The patient informs the practice. Uh, the patient is the one that decides what the functional impairment is. And then through symptom modification during the application of the technique itself, that then informs the therapist whether or not they are uh, performing the appropriate mobilization with the appropriate direction, appropriate grade, based on symptom abolition. So essentially, the patient is the GPS, so to speak. And the therapist is simply uh, driving the car, but in response to how the patient directs them, turn right, turn left, go faster, go slower, based on real-time symptomatic response. To my mind, traditional orthopedic manual therapy, of course, has its role, but it's based around the therapist's perception of what to do, often uh, built around passive interverbal motion or end feel. And, and that, of course, has its own efficacy. But to my mind, patients should really be the uh, arbiter of the appropriateness of our interventions. Can you explain the terminology used with the Mulligan concept? So uh, Brian Mulligan has a love of short forms and acronyms, and he developed uh, the term mobilization with movement, MWMs. In the spine, that has been termed a sustained natural apophyseal glide because it's again sustained, it's not an oscillatory mobilization. And it's in the natural plane of the zygopophyseal joints, and Brian calls those snags. He also has a mobilization technique in the cervical spine, which is a strictly a mobilization technique. It's not sustained, and so that would be a natural apophyseal glide, sometimes called nags. 
Again, these are his short forms, his acronyms, which uh, people have uh, embraced as well. And what body areas can this concept be used on? Brian Mulligan actually began this uh, with a very accidental finding of a young lady with uh, impaired mobility of her finger. She was unable to flex her finger. He uh, applied various forms of uh, manual therapy with no benefit whatsoever. He then applied a lateral glide to the finger and the patient was then able to instantly be able to perform that activity of finger flexion without pain. From there, it's extrapolated out to most major body areas. The research has been quite generous, particularly with the effect of this intervention on problems such as lateral epicondylalgia, shoulder mobility and function, ankle mobility and function, and we're now funding research investigating its impact on the hip and knee, and again, seeing significant clinical positive outcomes for our patient population. So. It seems to be quite applicable to the vast majority of body areas. Of course, it's not the only technique that we would use in clinical practice, but certainly seems to be quite applicable to a wide range of orthopedic problems that we see. What are the basic principles or concepts of the mulligan technique? So I think the first thing that uh, we do is uh, ensure the patient is appropriate for us to be seeing, that they are medically appropriate. The second step in the process then is to ensure that they are mechanically appropriate as well. Having done that, we then during our examination would identify a client-specific impairment deficit. And that may be functional impairment of uh, say cervical rotation or shoulder flexion or grip causing lateral elbow pain. And so that will be identified as our client-specific impairment measure. The therapist then applies a pain-free manual therapy intervention. And this is important. This is one of the distinguishing features of the Mulligan concept, it's pain-free. While we maintain that pain-free manual therapy intervention, we ask the patient now to come back and repeat the activity that a moment ago was functionally impaired and reproduce their typical symptom of complaint. If it too is now pain-free and significantly improved in function, we repeat that activity, asking the patient often to add overpressure, passive overpressure or resistance uh, to the activity, adding progressive loading to the tissue. After a reasonable number of repetitions, we then would remove our hands and ask the patient to now again come back and perform that functionally impaired activity, that client-specific impairment measure. And we're looking for sustainable gains. I think one of the big difference is that traditionally, we have a paradigm of test, treat, retest. In the Mulligan concept, we have a very similar paradigm, but there's another additional component. We have now test, test, treat. You get real-time feedback while you're actually doing the technique itself. And then again, you come back and do your retest afterwards. How do you determine what technique to perform? How do you know it's going to be pain-free? Well, first of all, the uh, techniques themselves have been worked through by Brian Mulligan over uh, a number of years through trial and error. We don't have a, a hard and fast rule. However, we do certainly find that there are consistent uh, interventions that seem to have a positive outcome. So, for instance, with lateral elbow pain associated with grip, what we might want to term lateral epicondylalgia, it seems that a lateral glide of the forearm in relationship to the humerus seems to render that normally impaired activity of grip now pain-free. 
Now, there's not a rational biomechanical explanation as why that is, but it certainly seems to be a consistent pattern. There's been some research uh, done uh, into this concept of directional preference, and that's very similar to, if you think, to the McKenzie concept that also comes out of New Zealand. So the research uh, was published uh, some years ago by Haxby Abbott in manual therapy indicates that, again, say for the uh, lateral elbow technique, that it's a lateral glide at zero or possibly even, say, five degrees posterolateral that seems to be beneficial to the patient's function. Not five degrees anterolateral, five degrees posterolateral. Now, there's not a good rational biomechanical explanation for that. Nevertheless, it is consistently seen in clinical practice and supported by the extant literature as well. And how do the techniques change when the condition is acute versus chronic? If the patient has had a, a recent injury and it's a pain-dominant situation, your primary therapeutic goal might be symptom control. And so you might select a, a, an intervention that is geared more towards symptom control to uh, remove the mechanical stress on the tissue and decrease the overall nociception to the patient. When you progress further uh, in the rehabilitation cycle and now functional recovery is your primary therapeutic goal, you might then consider using techniques that are focused more towards functional improvement, that stress uh, end range loading of the structures through range and repetition of that. How do patients maintain any improvements that they get during treatments? Are there specific mulligan <coughs> exercises that the patients are given? Absolutely. The patient should be uh, encouraged to undertake their own self-care following treatment. And that can be just through uh, using the uh, improved functional activity itself, whether it be a cervical rotation or shoulder flexion. But often the patient can actually apply their own mobilizations with movement as well, using their own hands or perhaps uh, the use of a belt that uh, they can apply to uh, the body part. Taping can also be done to try to uh, maintain the gains between treatment sessions. But what we're looking for is sequential gains during our treatment sessions with, again, the patient then utilizing that functionally improved activity between treatment sessions for maintenance of uh, their outcomes. And is there any equipment needed to perform this technique? The equipment that you need to perform the mulligan technique is, first of all, sound clinical reasoning. Secondly, appropriate uh, psychomotor skill, understanding of the principles, two hands, and a bed. What research has been done on the Mulligan concept? That's a, a lovely question because I think we're very proud of the fact that the Mulligan Teachers Association funds research. Uh, we all pay into a research fund. We encourage people to uh, go on our website and apply for the funding that's there. We've uh, been able to fund uh, research into the application of these, this concept for cervicogenic dizziness uh, with Sue Reed in Australia. We've done a fair bit of uh, research uh, with Bill Vincenzo from the University of Queensland uh, regarding the uh, effect of this technique on lateral epicondylalgia as well as ankle mobility. We now have a group of individuals examining the outcome for cervicogenic headache. That's being driven primarily by uh, Toby Hall from the Curtin University program in Perth, Australia. So we're uh, very proud of the fact that we have been able to support research into this concept. And there's a, a growing body uh, of literature that is uh, quite supportive uh, of its outcomes. Why do you think these mulligan techniques are effective? 
I think the real key here with the Mulligan concept and its effectiveness is based around several things. First of all, that real-time feedback with the patient that you know you're in the right place, doing the right technique, uh, in the right direction with the right grade while you're doing it by symptom abolition. I think the other major component here of its effectiveness is built around it's really the intersection between manual therapy and neural pain science. So rather than the patient being this passive recipient to our care, the patient is an active participant in the entire process. The patient determines, again, whether you're doing the technique correctly or not by symptom abolition. This brings down fear and then empowers the patient to then be actively involved in the process. We have not only just simply the, the passive techniques that are traditionally we think of as stretching out tight joints, but now we have our application of our technique with uh, direct contact to the skin that is going to then give central nervous system bombardment through uh, Ruffini fibers. Then with our manual mobilizations, we stimulate mechanoreceptors. Then with the patient's active movements, that then brings in the bombardment from muscle spindles, Golgi tendon organs. And so what we now have is the opportunity to essentially bombard the central nervous system with this unique afferent mechanoreceptive input. I use the expression, it's essentially control-alt-delete. We get to reboot the patient's nociception system and then allow them to then move forward with functional activities without that pain response and the fear that that stimulates as well. So it's this blending of both traditional manual therapy and modern neuropain science. When would you use a mulligan technique versus a passive manual therapy technique for such as a joint mobilization? I think that you know one of the indications in my clinical practice of when I might select a mulligan technique versus traditional manual therapy is what is the function limiting barrier. If it's just the patient is stiff, they, they, they attempt to turn their neck and, and they, they can't turn the neck just because it's tight, it's stiff, there's a, a restriction, then of course a traditional orthopedic manual therapy may be uh, totally appropriate in that situation. But if pain is your barrier, if you can't turn your neck, not because it's stiff, but because it's painful, how can you ask the patient to, to quote, push through that pain? So if pain is the barrier to function, that's when the mulligan concept really can be brought forward because so its fundamental tenet is no reproduction of pain and then the patient now performs that functional activity. So when pain's the barrier, start thinking about whether or not you might want to use the mulligan concept. There's a lot of debate mainly online about manual therapy and its relevance to patient outcomes. What is your opinion on that? I think that the pendulum has certainly swung from the traditional uh, manual therapy patient passive recipient of our care uh, towards now the application of, again, neural pain science. And I, and I think that's a very positive swing. And now, of course, as all pendulums, they will find that it's middle ground, somewhere between the two. And this is, I think, where uh, the Mulligan concept really has an awful lot to offer evidence-based uh, practitioners who want to incorporate neural pain science into their practice. And so. The Mulligan concept allows us to find that middle ground between traditional orthopedic manual therapy and neuropain science because, again, we're no longer reproducing the patient's symptoms. The patient is an active participant in the process. We do not reproduce any of their pain whatsoever during the application. The patient is empowered to perform their functional activities. So I think it's a uh, unique blending between the two. And, and when that pendulum finds its middle ground, I think where it'll land on is, is the Mulligan concept. 
And what do you teach at your courses? The Mulligan Concept uh, courses are organized in a variety of countries. We have uh, 52 uh, Mulligan Concept teachers internationally throughout Europe, South America, North America, uh, Australia, uh, Asia. And they are broken into uh, three segments, uh, an upper quadrant, uh, a lower quadrant, and then a uh, follow-up course afterwards. And then following completion of that cycle, individuals can uh, apply to sit for the Certified Mulligan Practitioner Examination, uh, where they would go through a written examination as well as a OSCE. And looking at the person's uh, understanding of the concept, uh, their ability to apply the technique in a safe and appropriate manner, uh, so there's this three-step process, and at the completion of that, uh, then the individual then can uh, hold themselves forward as a certified Mulligan practitioner. The public then can find them on uh, various websites, and, and then that way the public is assured that they, that individual on a given day did meet a recognized standard. And where can people find out more about you? There is a website, mulliganconceptcanada.ca, also canz7ers, Canadian New Zealand Education.ca, uh, either of those two websites. Okay, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Functional First Podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a rating on the iTunes Store and stay tuned each month for a new episode.